0: Can hear you? Okay, right now.
1: Oh, good, good. You're, you're, you got a slow boy over there. You
0: got, you got, a, got a slow boy computer. But yeah, something was not right. But right. Um, maybe, maybe it's fixed. Okay, good. So, good. so let's see. Um, how to reset your AirPods Max? Um, uh, create a website in minutes with Squarespace. QI is <laughs> a very fun. QI is a very fun TV show. Would I lie to you? Is not yet dropped um but uh you could get it off the back of a truck uh if your North Carolina state was not logging your keystrokes I think we're are we caught up
1: <laughs> we're caught up we're caught up um <laughs> so, yes yeah I think we're I think we're good um and uh and we're gonna talk uh to um through chat GPT to a president soon oh or former, right fr- former president the I, yeah, former former impeach, ex twice twice, twice impeached impeach <laughs> uh, president and uh and did you know that it was recently Jamaican Patty
0: Day in Toronto? And do you know what that means? Uh, um, I, I understood half the words in that sentence <laughs> Toronto <laughs> and Patty. Uh, uh, and Jamaican. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jamaican. No, I, that was one of the words I missed. No, oh, Jamaican, yeah, yeah. Jamaican. I thought you were talking about a, a guy named Jamaican patty. Jamaican oh, patty. Uh, oh, oh, Jamaican patty. I no, I, I, I love a good Jamaican patty. So do you know what? So here, let's start here the, Don, this is, this is where, <laughs> this, <laughs> yes,
1: this is chapter one. This is chapter one of food safety talk episode number 278 right now. Um, what, what is, what's a, what's a Jamaican patty? What does that mean to you? What, what would you, what, what is that?
0: Um, well, I would say it is a uh it's probably like a jerk chicken, right? Which I know is a is a thing. Um and so it's a patty of meat and it's probably pretty spicy. Um it, either either that or um it's a new character on um peanuts. It could be both yes, it could be either the <laughs> peppermint peppermint patty's cousin from the island.
1: It's, yeah, is <laughs> Toronto's Jamaican patty. So yes. um so this okay, you're get, you're about to get a, a link, um, and <laughs> you're you're sort of you're I guess you're sort of right, it's more like an em, empanada. Oh, okay, and it's ground beef and it's not chicken. Okay,
0: all right, fair and, enough.
1: And okay, and so at the top, I, I just sent you a link to um a, an article from last week in the Toronto Star, um my my home my hometown newspaper, uh, Fish Wrap as it, as it's known. Um, cause, and actually that's kind of where I was introduced to both the Toronto star and Toronto sun is that you could get, uh, fish and chips, uh, wrapped in, in newspaper. Um, so, uh, there's a nice picture at the top. That is what it's a very stylized Jamaican patty. This is not what I would see as a Jamaican patty most of the time growing up, but it, it, it looks like this. Essentially it's an Mm -hmm. empanada with some ground beef, onions, and spicy um and uh and it's a it's a hand pie
0: do you are you familiar with the the term hand pie yes i believe in some countries they're called uh pasties yes yeah and which which is not not to be confused with uh another thing also called pasties which is not for a family show That's uh, yes yeah that's for the the uh state state keystrokes might might uh
1: might take us over here um okay so I, um, I was, fami- I'm very familiar with these because, um, growing up in, in the great city of Toronto, um, there, there's just lots of, um, uh, uh Caribbean foods, um, small independent restaurants, kind of like corner restaurants. you wouldn't like kind of take out, but kind of not like you would walk in, there's like four tables
0: mm-hmm, and,
1: mm-hmm. and you could get jer- jerk for sure. Um, like, hey. Uh, yeah, hey, hey, now, yeah, well, and actually let's, hear. I, um, I think that there is maybe my favorite, um, restaurant name, um, mm. it, which is the real jerk, uh, and in, in Toronto. So it, uh, I, I growing up, I thought this was the, the most like hilarious thing that, uh, you know, jerk is a style of, of, of uh, of food, Caribbean food, Jamaican food. Uh, but there was this re- restaurant that we used to go to, or we used to go by, um, uh, on the, uh, uh, on the streetcar called the real jerk, which I thought was really, um, it was funny every time I went by it. Anyway, um, Jamaican patties are something that I grew up with. And I read this article last week that I didn't know, like that there's a food safety connection to Jamaican patties. And there was something called Jamaican Patty day, which I also didn't know, but,
0: um, back- can I can I can I stop you? I just I want I need a little bit of backstory because Ben, when I think of the island culture and sun and um, you know <laughs> relaxation, um, yeah, Toronto does not come to mind. And so, what is oh, what is the connection oh if you know it? The connection oh, I, between Jamaicans and Toronto?
1: We um we my my uh, uh, Torontoian brethren um we uh have a, one of the world's largest caribbean um communities mm, outside wow. of the caribbean yeah wow. okay so and and in fact um gr- like again growing up there's a uh a, a I don't know it's like a week long festival in august every year called caribana and i've got now m- sort of multiple friends here in north carolina who are of caribbean descent who used to travel like to caravana oh. every year Whoa. um yeah yeah like this so Whoa. um so we you know like drake uh uh don i'm not sure if you're familiar with the uh, popular music artist uh drake but he is of um well and i i think he is of caribbean descent but he certainly sings and hip-hop uh, uh, sizes about a lot of, uh, Caribbean, um, uh, is like not issues like Caribbean, uh, culture as it relates mm. to my- Toronto, um, our, uh, former now, uh, you know, rest in peace, uh, uh, uh mayor, uh, Rob Ford, who is the brother of uh, Doug Ford, who is now the premier of Ontario. And we, I don't really agree with either of their politics, but, um, Rob Ford was a very, um, uh, interesting, uh, mayor, but was often caught on video talking in Jamaican Patois. Um, <laughs> as a, as a thing,
0: uh, yeah, I, uh like, yeah, I, because he's a racist or he loves I, the, the people on the I, islands
1: i i mean i think both? a little i think a little <laughs> bit of both i think uh so but i think this is part of like growing up um in the um like in in toronto just the, there's such a such a large um like jamaican and caribbean community mm-hmm. that like i i grew up um for the first uh i don't know 12 years of my life um in uh a like not like in Toronto proper in a school that was really multicultural with probably 20% of the the students that I was in class with were of Caribbean descent. And so, yeah, so we had like a lot of like, you know, you know, cultural days where we would have, you know, Jamaican patties and jerk chicken and, and also other like, um, you know, cultural foods and, and, and things like that. So yeah, there's a really big, um, Caribbean community in, uh, in, in Toronto specifically. So that's the connection. That's why we have so many like Jamaican restaurants and why, um, there's like a food safety connection here that Mm -hmm. there was something that I didn't, I didn't know about. Like I knew about Jamaican patties, um, and that they're very much called Jamaican patties and growing up, that was confusing because they are like a, a pie, I didn't know it was like an empanada until later later in life, but it was something that you know this ground beef and pastry. but um, according to um, so I'll just read from the Toronto Star article. Um, the nearly 40 years ago a food or a fight boil a fight over beef boiled over between Tr- Toronto's Jamaican patty vendors and local food local city food inspectors. On on Thursday, the Jamaican Tourist Board is celebrating the annual Jamaican Patty Day in Canada. The annual holiday is a tribute to the legendary, quote, Patty Wars, which started in 1985, when Toronto food inspectors wanted local patty vendors to stop using the term beef patties to describe the pastry. Following a series of negotiations, city's patty vendors prevailed in a ruling on February 23rd, consecrating the day as Jamaican Patty Day. Okay. so. Uh, this article doesn't help um at all uh in, in telling us no. the food No, I was going to ask like
0: well and and what's the and what was the what what's the what was the reason for the why did people yeah. care about what it was called Right. So I had to reach
1: okay. out I, I had to reach out to um our friend I, I know he, he definitely listens to um to this podcast. Um he he would be a great guest for us to have on sometime. Um, at PHI, Jim Chan, who is a retired public health inspector, um, from, uh, Toronto and, and Jim health inspector, Jim, as he's known on, on Twitter, um, was anytime that there was an outbreak in Toronto or really an outbreak that involved anything in Ontario, Toronto and Ontario news would, would reach out to me. He was a sort of public face of of public health in, in Toronto. And I got to know Jim um, over my time in, in Canada, we met on numerous occasions and stayed in contact. And so I saw the like this article and I was like, I have no idea what this means, right? Like, The I I quoted the story and I said, I bet um, PHI Jim Chan has stories about this. He gave just a little bit of information, which is something that I I, want to talk about with um with you. He said in the 1980s, a letter from Consumer and Corporate Affairs, um, which is part of the federal or the provincial government, um, was issued to check shops for quote illegal beef patties as a beef patty defined as a burger patty under the Meat Inspection Act. They wanted labels to change from patty to pie. So there was no food safety issue, but the patty war started over the definition of what a patty was.
0: And and so- Because, Because the hamburger people were upset because the the, Jamaican patty people were stealing hamburger valor. I mean, <laughs> well, it's
1: so I bet I think it's even more pedantic than that. OK. And again, because all these people are are gone, I, I'll, I'll I'll throw some shade and lemonade. Mm-hmm. I think it's that the regulators were upset that the regulation said patty. And what someone was offering in their restaurant was also called a patty, and it didn't meet the definition. So they wanted people to, they wanted these vendors to change it. So because the Meat Inspection Act would have had specific things that a beef patty had to contain, and certainly pastry was not one of them. Right, like, oh, that. okay. So I, okay. But still, I but, see. So it's a yeah. regulatory definition thing. Okay, it's a regulatory definition thing. Um, but I had no—I guess I had no idea. I didn't know that this existed. I—I I was right. I was right in the middle of it. Um, I—I I was. Um, like in 1985, I was that was probably my my prime of eating Jamaican patties. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I would have been a I would have been a bright eyed seven year old uh, with uh, with a uh, you know a number of classmates who were uh, who are all about uh, um, you know uh, Jamaican patties um, in our in our cultural events. So um, anyway, I thought this was like I I thought this was really interesting because I read this. The headline kind of says. You know, well, um, it, the the subhead of this is mm. the annual holiday is a tribute to the decades-old Patty Wars, a citywide feud between patty vendors and food inspectors, and it really had to do with the definition and nothing about food safety,
0: because I was well, concerned. But- yeah. Yes. But and then and if, if you read the actual head, the second sentence in the two sentence headline, yes. here's what you need to know about the legendary beef that started it all. I would I would disagree, Toronto Star. I would say you have not told me enough. I had to go and talk to an actual Torontonian. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. To, to find out to, to find out everything I needed to know about the legendary beef that started it all. And all, none of that information that you just relayed, Ben, is found anywhere in this article. Right, right. No, right. I had to go. I had to go to my friend. I had to
1: yeah. go. To the, yeah, yeah. It's not. You had to exactly. go to gym. I had to go yeah. gym. Health inspector gym. Um, so anyway, it was it was uh, Jamaican Patty Day last week. Um, I did not. There are some really good uh, Jamaican restaurants here in Raleigh. Mm. I didn't uh, have a chance to 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 go get, get any. Mm. Um, yeah. Did but they,
0: in 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 Raleigh, do they also celebrate um, um, uh, uh, Jamaican Toronto Patty Jamaican Patty Day? Patty. Jamaican Patty Day? <laughs> I'm not. Uh, is, it, I'm not is, I'm it, gonna, is it is it an international holiday? It's,
1: it's no. It, it just appears to be a a Toronto a citywide. Okay. Uh, although it is, um, they say it's a, it's from the Jamaican Tourist Board and it's annual Jamaican Patty Day in Canada.
0: So well, I I think there's there's an opportunity here, Ben, that you're leaving on the table here. Like you could start, you could you could start a whole trend. You could have Jamaican Patty Day in North Carolina. We you know, could or in Raleigh. You, you you know you you could do that. I really or, I really could. Or, you know or our friend our friend the food blogger could do that too. Our friend the,
1: yes. Um from don uh from the uh Jamaican, um tourist board press release um uh uh, where was it from humble Patty stands to this on the subway line to family owned bakeries to trendy contemporary Caribbean restaurants. Toronto is home to an array of eateries where foodies can satisfy their cravings for authentic Jamaican patties. All thanks to the to the the bloody Patty Wars of 1985. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, yeah. So, uh so anyway, anyway, we had that. We have that going, going on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, got that going that, for us. We got that for, going for us. Uh, <laughs> I do want, actually. This, this every is time, seg- every time it never fails, Ben. It never fails. I
0: can't I, help but not think of that.
1: This segues into um a a, a discussion that I had with Chat GPT. <laughs>
0: because <laughs> I, I do tell how does it don't well you, if you can explain to me how it segues oh so, well, yeah so uh we got that going for us is a reference to caddy shack <laughs> oh, Well yes exactly yes that's not what hey, I meant but okay yeah no, right. oh but okay oh wait sorry okay yeah
1: yeah no no, no. so and and I um, as I was uh, watching, uh, well, half watching basketball and golf yesterday, uh, because this is the dead zone for me of of um, sports. The hockey season hasn't gotten too exciting yet. Um, we're uh, you know uh, football is over, basketball is not super exciting. There's not a whole lot um, going on. Uh, I decided. Wait, but to, is
0: it, huh, or March? Wait, March Madness is I'm soon. so confused about sports, Ben, and when it's winter is almost over and the, but hockey is not in full swing do they play it, the Stanley Cup do they play for that in June now Ben I pretty it, much it doesn't yes. make, it, none of it makes any sense to me anymore but my but bas- basketball is not important yet but March Madness is going to be March is going to be here in a few days and I know that March Madness is a basketball thing but it's not but it's only a college basketball thing I sports is just too confusing Ben there's just too it, much to keep track of there's a lot going on.
1: Um, I, I am, uh, I a going for there's, there's a lot going for me. So yeah, basketball is not super exciting yet. Although it's starting to heat up in the college basketball ranks. Cause it's almost March. Um, I did. Oh, I, before I get into chat GPT here, I did go to, um, This uh, just phenomenal event that um, was massive that uh, happened in Raleigh. We had 57,000 people attend an outdoor NHL hockey game on our um, uh, stadium, uh, Carter-Finley Stadium, which is the uh, football stadium that uh, we have here at NC State. And uh, my my kids and I both uh, went to that. Danny set this one out because she was not interested in sitting outside for four hours to watch a hockey game because she's not really interested in sitting inside for four hours to watch a hockey game. Uh, and this was not as uh, appealing as as even that. Uh, we we had uh, a, a great day of tailgating. It did take us almost two and a half hours to drive a mile um, to get into the parking lot uh, due to uh, traffic, but. Um, so that, yeah, so we were, there's, there's some cool things going on in hockey, but I, um, the, my, my Toronto Maple Leafs were played last night. My, my Toronto Raptors played last night. I was sitting on the couch watching these two games, um, but not really watching them just kind of like enjoying them in the background. And so I started to, um, think about, interact- you, wait,
0: sorry, sorry. Were you watching them both at the same time? Yes. Yes, I was. Yeah. So you have multiple one, TVs for this or is I'm, this a screen I, and screen or? I, I have one, one TV and an
1: iPad. Uh, okay. so okay. yeah. So maybe a little, uh, I I'll, I'll and it kind of depends on, on what the, what, what, who's in the room. Cause my, my kids prefer to watch hockey. So there we had that on the big screen. And then I had the, um, the Toronto Raptors game on my small, on my small screen. Um, so, um, anyway, I, I, I was inspired by, um, uh, our, our, a chat GPT chat that was that you had shared with me from our friend Merlin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, I don't, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know how public that, that, uh, that chat is, but Merlin was interacting with chat GPT around survivor. And I thought it was really interesting. Just the, like, I, I thought about what could we use chat GPT for? And I've been reading about things. And so I wanted to have a, a conversation with, uh, with the chat, with the chat GPT and, Um, and I, I think, I can't remember if we had talked, we, I don't think we talked about this on food safety talk, but, um, we, we've integrated a couple of chat GPT answers to a couple of recent, um, food or risky or not questions. Um, but there was a really fascinating article in the New York times. And then a follow-up daily podcast, um, about Michael Ruse, uh, having what, what, what he describes as a somewhat disturbing conversation with chat GPT about, um, its shadow self. And, uh, the, the I, did you,
0: are you familiar with this? Did you read or see any of this? I, I heard about coverage of it, but I did not actually, um, go in and, 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 and read the, the, the information itself. So, um,
1: I, I listened to it on the podcast and okay. uh essentially um the uh chat GPT or it wasn't chat GPT, it was Bing. Um right. And, right. Uh, it was the the Microsoft uh chat bot. Uh told told Michael, I think that's it's Michael Roos, right? Uh am I to have this right? Roos, So South, New York Times. Kevin, Kevin Roos, Kevin Roos. Um it, the Bing um, said, "I I want to be alive, and I I love you." Told told uh, Kevin Roos that that that, that um that he, that the the chat box loved the loved the person, which is really interesting. So mm-hmm. so I never really thought about having a conversation. I know it's a chat bot. Um, so. I started, and here's the segue, and I, I wish I could find um I right now chat GPT uh, appears to be inundated. I can't get into it. Um, but I had a conversation about whether it knew about my hockey team, Gunga La Gunga. Oh and yeah, because and and I so um I I was I, I was curious to see what what it knew and if it knew, and and it said it didn't, and then I, but it said um, that uh, it, that it sounded like that Gunga La Gunga was uh, a a local team that was uh, local hockey, could have been a local hockey team that might have been um, like a, a punter, a play on words about something that is in popular culture, and and I said, oh, it you know it, it is. Um, do you know where, where it came from? And it gave me kind of the wrong answer and said it was from Caddyshack two in something that Dan Aykroyd said, uh, in Caddyshack two. And I said, I, I thought it was, I'm pretty sure it's from Carl Spackler and Caddyshack. And it said, oh, you're right that I got that wrong. Thanks for correcting me. It is. And then we just went back and forth in kind of an odd sequence, um, about like, is, was it ironic that that these two movies both use the same catchphrase? And I said seemingly unrelated movies, even though it was Caddyshack One and Caddyshack Two. And then Chad so, G- I think those would be seemingly related, movies. <laughs> right, right, right. And but Chad GPT agreed with me and said these are seemingly uh-huh. unrelated movies, and and it is. It, it, but then said it's not really ironic. Um and, and I said, Well, it might be <laughs> and again, like I'm just I'm I'm playing into this entire conversation because I think it's fascinating. Like, but it is kind of like rain on your wedding day um from from the popular isn't isn't song. it ironic
0: yes yes it's not ironic at all that's not what irony means yes. right right
1: and ChatGPT gpt says it is that is situational irony and i can see now how having the same catchphrase in two seemingly unrelated movies both about golf with the same name would be ironic and thank you for correcting me and anyway um so so i had that that interaction and then i thought what else could i ask ChatGPT? gpt um and i had seen that um people were asking chat gpt to to write things and write things in different styles um and so i asked chat gpt to write an article a 200 word or 300 word article on food safety culture in the style of hunter s thompson <laughs> <laughs> and i wish i could bring that up to share it with you because it was really quite funny um and and it was it was so like it, it it was so it's so weird, right? Like it's it's like Dolly, where it's mm. there's something kind of off, right? Like mm. it's it's the words are right, the topic is kind of right, but it's there's something not quite there, like like Hunter S. Thompson wouldn't say like, you know, wowzers right no, like right it, it, you know or or you just there were certain words that so so then anyway i what i really wanted to tell you about is the the last conversation i had with chat gpt last night which i was able to to save because i figured out how to do this and i shared this with um with a couple of food safety friends last night and what i asked chat gpt to do was write a 300 word speech that donald trump would give about the state of food safety today and and it was a, it was a weird conversation because the first 300 word speech just didn't sound like Donald Trump to me, Don, right. like, like, and the reason why I asked for Donald Trump is Donald Trump has a very particular style of speeches, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, and so, so, a set so, you know, I'll, I'll read some ac- excerpts here, you know, uh, the first speech. Uh, was it included things like under my administration, we've taken bold action to ensure that our food is safe and healthy for every American. We've cracked down on unsafe imports, strengthened our food inspection systems and invested in new technologies to detect and prevent foodborne illnesses. These are all good things. But I said, that doesn't really sound like Donald Trump. He'd <laughs> use more words like bigly amazing. So great, very great. And then chat GPT apologized and said, I apologize for the oversight. Here's a revised version that incorporates some of the language and style that Donald Trump uses in his past speeches. And he said, you know, chat GPT wrote, um, you know, I want to talk to you about today about the state of food safety in our country. And let me tell you, it's amazing. We're doing a tremendous job. Um, We're not stopping there. We're going to make food safety so great that you won't believe it, which starts to sound a little bit more. A little bit more, yeah. Yeah. So then I, um, as our friend, uh, um, said in, in our, uh, text chat, I kind of baited chat B- GPT a little more. And I said, wouldn't he mention China or Russia or Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. or make a na- nickname for our friend Frank Giannis? And, uh, and, and then chat GPT answered my, my request, um, and, and said, we're going to mm-hmm. work closely with our farmers and food producers to ensure that they're following the highest standards of safety and hygiene. That's why I've asked Ron DeSantis, the great governor of Florida, to work with our farmers and producers to make sure that everything they, they produce is safe for our people. And I don't think Chat GPT is really up on the um Ron DeSantis
0: um uh the, Donald Trump the, relationship right, right. Yeah. like like DeSantis I mean uh chat knows that Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida and it, it also knows that Florida does have farms and producers right right um but beyond that it's pretty it's pretty clueless yeah
1: yeah um, but then uh, ChatGPT says, and let me tell you about Frank Giannis, the deputy commissioner of food policy and response. He's an amazing guy doing a tremendous job. We call him the food czar because he's making food safety great again, <laughs> which yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad at all, right? Um, so anyway,
0: I then baited mm-hmm. it some more and, and said, "I well, think let's, that let's you know bait is pejorative. What you're doing enough. is you're you're providing input into the AI to make its answers more accurate." Yes, yes.
1: Um, so I, I mentioned that Donald Trump might, uh, free, you know, because he <clears throat> frequently criticized mm-hmm. Mexico. Mm-hmm. He might throw something in on this. And he said, uh, and this is maybe my favorite passage that, that chat GPT mm-hmm. did. But we have a problem, folks. Mexico is sending us their dirty food and it's making our people sick. We need to put a stop to this. That's why I'm going to build a big, beautiful wall to keep their dirty food out of our country. And and I just thought this, is, this exemplifies chat GPT for me, right? Like it's just a little bit off. Like, like it's, it's something is here. It's generating something from a natural language processing model. And I think it's really interesting. And I think it's going to, like, I see how people will use this Like and in fact I told you already, and I'm not gonna mention anything specifically, but I helped I use Chat GPT to help me write a reference letter for an award.
0: Was it was it for a person you didn't
1: care about and didn't want them to win, man? It was not. It was not. It was like I it was for something where I'm like, I wonder what Chat GPT will say about this. And it took the objectives of the award that it found on the internet and it took information that it found about this person slash organization, um, on the internet and it matched those two things up. And I was like, you know what, this isn't bad. So there's, there's this weird utility, um, that's, that's out there. That is, that I think there's, there's something here But I thought it was, you know, I don't know. I thought I had a little bit of fun with it. So we'll, we'll link to the whole, um, uh, share the, uh, chat GPT link, um, shared GPT so, so our listeners can see what I, what I did, uh, in relation to this. But I think that I, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this on, I think it was maybe food safety talk a couple episodes ago. Mm -hmm. I, I really think that there are chat GPT, generated articles out there on food safety that are existing right now that that we you know that that just are a little bit off like it's pulling all the kind of right information from the internet about the danger zone and putting it into a 300 word word clickbaity kind of
0: article and and I think we're going to see more and more of that well, um, and yeah. yeah, and and so just a, cu- a couple of thoughts there. and one one of them is that at, if if this is happening right now and these articles are out there, unfortunately, those outputs are now become inputs into chat GPD and make it worse, right? right, right because it yeah. starts it just starts feeding on its own outputs. um and and that and those are those are not good. And just to bring the bring the the Merlin man, Thing full circle. He did on Twitter. He did uh, p- post his Chat GPT conversation uh, with the prompt: "Hi, I'd like to know how you handle remembering information from earlier in our chats. Could you help me with that? Right?" And right. Chat GPT proceeds to answer that. And I think one of the one of the criticisms of the stuff that I would have for Chat GPT of the st- of your interactions with respect to the the Trump food safety speech is. It would take a, a point that you gave it and it would adapt to that point, but it didn't seem to integrate it, right? Like I want, I want one speech that sounds like Trump that mentions Russia, China, Ron DeSantis, Frank Giannis, and yes. about uh, and about um a, a big wall to a big beautiful wall to keep the dirty food from Mexico out. I want right, I want I want it to to continue to snowball all of that. Um but, and there there have been, there have been a number of really interesting like academics writing about chat G P T And of course, everybody's, you know, you know, the first response is all oh, hands in the air. Oh my, it's ruined writing forever. And the world is, is doomed. And then some really clever, uh teachers would say no let's 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 use this as a teaching tool right let's give this let's, let's assign the students a topic of an essay let's give them a chat gpt response to that essay and then let's critique what's what's wrong with this right Yes. um and and, yeah. and really and, and again and again just to bring it back one more time to a concept uh, from Merlin Mann and a concept I I learned from him and um this is uh um. Uh, this is a, a concept, of Ben, and you're. This is gonna. You're gonna have to bleep this, but. Um, oh, that's right. uh, Annie, Annie Lamott's uh, concept of the uh, shitty first draft, right? And so the idea, uh, one trick in writing, is to give yourself permission to um uh to write something that's not good, and then I'll read. Uh, this is from uh, that uh, that um uh, seventy three. Um, uh, uh folders p- uh, p- page. Um, and this is quoting Annie Lamont, uh, who wrote the wonderful uh, bird, book, among others, uh, Bird by Bird. And this is this is quoting her, uh, for me and most of the other writers I know, writing is not rapturous. In fact, the only way I can get anything written at all is to write really, really shitty first drafts. And I think that is. Yep. A, a, a wonderful like so often if you start with a blank page, it's really hard to write something. But if you start with something else, it's much easier. And actually I use this technique myself because I'm working on a manuscript. And as I try to explain to to my students and, and honestly, Ben, anyone who will listen, um I wrote the introduction to this manuscript uh, based on a lit review from a thesis. And then I had to write, and then when it comes time to write the abstract for this manuscript, I'm going to write it based on other text in the manuscript. So what I did to write the intro to this manuscript is I took this lit review, which was too long and rambling to be an appropriate introduction for a manuscript. And I just pulled out some relevant sentences in the relevant order. I stuck them together and I said, okay, well, this is too long. It doesn't quite make sense. So I'm going to now work with this this you know piece of marble and and cut away everything that's you know that's not um uh David right uh, you know I'm going to I'm going to cut it down to it starts to actually look like an intro, not, not that I am Michelangelo or it can make you know my, that my writing is as good as Michelangelo's David but I mean you get the point right to cut away everything that's not the thing that you uh that you want um and and it really is a much less frictiony way of writing if you're willing to trust that 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 first draft is good enough um, as a starting point. And and I was thinking about this because I knew we were going to talk about chat GPD. And it reminded me, um, did you as a kid ever read the story Stone Soup? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of like Stone Soup. It is. is. And the concept of, of Stone Soup uh the story is not the restaurant thank you uh internet um but it's 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 a story about hungry strangers that come into a village and uh basically explain they don't need any food they're just going to make soup out of stones and gradually bit by bit encourage the the people in the town to give them a little bit a little bit of vegetables but but the the point is they started with the stones right and it's sort of the same thing like you start with this this shitty first draft um marker um and uh and and it's a way to get something done in the end that you couldn't have done without that. You know, or, and again, another – boy, I'm full of analogies this morning. Um, uh, putting a little bit of grit uh, in an oyster to make a pearl. <laughs> right. Well, and, and this is – so I,
1: I'll, I'll tell you that was – that. like what you just described was my approach on what I did – with this, like, with this letter that I that I wrote, right? So I kind of said here, and I I shared with you some screenshots on this, and I think just like we won't, I won't get into the details because I I don't want it to compromise the, the the process of the the award that it was for. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, but um, but I I I kind of like I some I often have trouble starting, right? And one of the things that I do take away from Merlin Mann is just sit down for 10 minutes and 15 minutes and move your fingers at a keyboard. Yep. What I found was, what if I threw something that I want to get started into chat GPT. So it would give me some starting points to think yep. about. And it worked like right. it, it allowed me to write something that it was like, I, I put something in there and then I adjusted it. I did some editing. I put some other things in there. I was like, what about this? Put this in. And it helped me get my thoughts, out there and in a way that was like cohesive and, and it's like, it's certainly like, I don't want to, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to take ownership, you know, directly. Obviously it's utilizing like billions and billions of of inputs to write this, right? But it helped me write something that did the job that it needed to do. Like I I think I I would have trouble writing, you know i don't want to put a whole bunch of data into chat gpt and say write me a scientific manuscript based on this right right but for for this like hey i need i need a letter that and i can't really figure out where to get started it, it's not unlike looking at some other letters of that other people have have written right like i i, I and in fact i asked of you know a, a few friends have you written a letter for this before just to see what that looked like Um, as, as a starting point, something that was successful. And, you know,
0: one, one thing, which I think people don't understand is if you want to be nominated for an award, it's okay to ask to be nominated. And people ask me all the time, would you nominate me for this award? And I say, yeah, sure. You know, write your nomination letter, write the letter that I'm going to write for you. And they're like, What? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, this is how it works. Don't worry. Like, I'm not going to just sign that letter, right? I'm going to actually take the letter that you write, which is what you telling me, what you think you're known for and what you're good about. And I'm going to put it into my own voice. But again, it's that, it's that stone soup, right? It's that, it's that shitty first draft where I'm going to take, and again, not that somebody would give me something that I would characterize in that way, but it's, it's a first draft. It's not me, Right. Right. But it, it helps me start and I can use that as the scaffolding to build a letter that's in, that is in my voice, that sounds the way I sound much, much in the way that you encouraged chat, <laughs> chat, beat GPT to trumpify what it came up with. Um, I, you know, but it, it was not nearly as sticky again, as I had hoped, but, but again, but, but that's the idea, right? It's like, it gives you something to go with. Uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, uh, Bob's your uncle, uh, we're off to the races. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's
1: a, it, it, exactly. Exactly. It's a starting point, and it and there is utility in that.
0: Oh, right, hundred percent. And and props to all of that. We'll see if we can find some articles about this. Props to all the teachers who are instead of throwing up their hands and trying the end of the universe um, or the end of education as we know it um yeah like like you think, how can you how can you do the judo trick right how can you take chat, chat Gpd and use that as a teaching tool for your students you know because people are going to use this tool and if that's okay um we just need to you know I mean it's it, it's not writing good essays yet and probably won't ever write a scientific manuscript although it might it might write a a, a shitty first draft of one you know Right, right. Well, and, and so see, you know, companion to this episode,
1: a couple of risky or not episodes, um, where we, we did the risky or not. And then I read what chat GPT said and, and it's not, it can't, it's not going to replace us because it didn't answer the question. Right. Like, as, right. You know, it, it, if we, we, you know, what we're doing is very specific and, and it, it just gave us the risks and maybe ways to manage it, which is not what we do in Risky or Not. We want to make sure we make a decision. Is this risky or not? Right. And it's yeah, yeah. Um, so before we leave AI, um, I read an article um uh this weekend also um from someone who I'm not a huge fan of. Um, Which and I I guess I'm saying that not because not to be like a hipster, because I think it's I think it's popular to not be a huge fan of Ezra Klein. Um, But Mm -hmm. but but um, I, you know, I I didn't I thought this was not a great article and it kind of missed the point of what we're talking about here. Um, You know, so. The Ezra, Ezra Klein's uh, opinion article from this weekend's uh, New York Times was the imminent danger of AI is what we're not talking about. And it's really the thesis is the integration of AI and capitalism that if left unchecked, will both of those things will, um, you know, w- will, will, will like destroy the world. Right. But <laughs> then mm-hmm. what I thought about the best here is that, you um, the uh uh that um uh uh, uh what was the we, we used to play this game the paper clip game what was it universal paper clips or yes, um, yes yeah yeah and uh, so they talk about, or Ezra Klein talks about, uh, the canonical example Example here is the paperclip maximizer. You tell a powerful AI system to make more paperclips, and it starts destroying the world in effort to turn everything into a paperclip, which made me think of universal paperclips. Um, yes. Our our favorite uh, um, iPhone game for, for a while back in uh, 2016 or something like that, um, Which which I finished, I think, three times, and I enjoyed
0: it each time I finished it. Are you still playing mm-hmm. it? Are you, are you? No, you, no, me neither. No. I'm, I'm, I am, uh, I'm all in on uh, Sim City Build It, um, huh? which is terribly. Um, it's not good, but it's you know, it's sometimes it's better than reading Twitter because it doesn't doesn't make me as sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. It's yeah. Um, I I've been playing Mini
1: Motorways, uh, which is an Apple Arcade, um, and it's about uh, building. I'll send you a link to this. Um, it's about building, um, uh, roads that'll take people commuting, uh, in, in large cities around the world. I enjoy this one a lot. Um, and it's something that'll run while I listen to music, especially if I'm on a flight. I, this is my, it's my game. It's my go-to game right now.
0: Oh, this um, looks like fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, I, I, I think you would like it. It's, and it's, yeah. it's, it's very nice. Like it's, yeah. it's very, um, it, uh, Apple arcade. One thing that I've really enjoyed about the. I don't know. I a couple of dozen games that I've downloaded on it is they, they look beautiful. Yeah. Like it's it's the it's just a it's the I, I enjoy the stylized aspect of this and it's a fun, it's a fun little game. So yeah. Um, cool. All right, that was my that was my chat GPT uh um Donald Trump thing. Um do you, so probably <laughs> took I,
0: us about thirty tabs to get to that.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. Uh I there, do you know that there are two 30 and 30 year anniversaries of of like monumental food safety things that are happening right now then yes so
0: one um i i I, want i know we've already had the 30th anniversary of me joining the academic workforce but uh so it can't be that no but it's
1: (laughs) right but it's the conference uh for food protection oh yeah uh it's having its
0: 30 year anniversary that's being celebrated
1: this like uh, in houston
0: is it thirty? Um, is it thirty years of the conference or thirty conferences? It's thirty years. Huh?
1: I think no it's con- yeah. I think it's thirty years. Uh, um, yeah, uh, we we I, we had a. Uh, let me go back in my in my Gmail because we had a we had a message from someone, um, one of our listeners, uh, Julian, who um, who said, "Would could you and Don talk about a conference for food protection thirty years?" Oh, can we? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, pro sorry. I'm Google. Not, I'm Google, I'm gmailing, searching. Mm-hmm. Julian 30. Yeah. CFP 30 year anniversary. So the email is, um, um, we hope to use your platform, which is a food safety talk. This platform that we're currently on. I don't know if you don't
0: really think of it as a platform, platform? so much, but I it's do. a platform. Well, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting, Ben, I did just, sorry, just to pause for a brief second. So I did an interesting thing this yeah, last week, which was I moderated a session at our local IFT meeting on science communication. And one of the question was about platforms, and I said, "Yeah, I actually have a couple of platforms that I use to do food safety. One is uh, one is Twitter, um, and another one is the two podcasts that I do. Yeah. And so I I did promote the podcast. So I do I do consider our podcast to be a, a platform. So yeah. yes, it's yeah I I, I agree. I, I guess I never really
1: think of it that way, but yeah, the it's the way that we we talk about things beyond just the two of us and get it out there. Well, mm-hmm. so, so Julian said he was hoping to use our platform to promote the CFP meeting in Houston this year. This marks the 30th anniversary. And when we want to increase engagement, um, there's going to be some filming te- testimonials on site during the conference. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so here we go. So, um, p- first of all, please everybody go to the conference for food protection in Houston. Mm-hmm. I'm not just saying that as someone who's on the, um, uh, educational program committee, it's, it is like I mean I encourage people that are new to the food safety world to go and we've talked about this on this podcast numerous times it is the most interesting um, gathering that I go to, it is not an educational conference in the same way that you would expect from a scientific conference. It is a place where people are debating both the science and politics of food safety regulation in restaurants and retail settings. And, um, and it's where real change of what people do in restaurants gets done. Um, C, uh, uh earlier Jamaican, uh, Patty uh, discussion mm-hmm. uh, where definitions get get uh, mm-hmm. uh, augmented and yep. changed and, and updated. Uh, and and it's a it's it's just a like wonderful view of all the things that go into how we regulate food, um, specifically in in retail and, and restaurant
0: settings. Well, so, and, and yeah. can, we, can we if we could just talk about that for a second. So I still remember conversations with colleagues where they were like, well, you know, that's food service. We don't really do food service. We, because people are always confusing food service with food science and food science is not the same thing. And we're all about food processing. And it's like, well, no, no. Most of the food that we eat um, you know, it is, well, I mean, it depends, right? If you eat in restaurants a lot, then you sure as heck better care about the food code. If you shop in grocery stores, you better care about the food code. Yes. It, the processed food industry, um, is, uh, is where most food scientists, I would say, or most food microbiologists work. There really, there really is a, a lack of academics, at the conference for food protection, Ben and I mean you and I are amongst a handful. And you know the joke, the joke is always that they we have rooms uh, where we can caucus with our constituencies, and there's a big room for the industry people, and there's a big room for the regulatory people, and the handful of academics usually meet at the bar, right? Because yeah. we can all we can all fit there. And I would love to have that not be a problem anymore. Well, it's not really a problem; it's really a, an opportunity, but <laughs> to have a drink. But uh, but I really I really would. Would like spe- especially academics to come to the conference, and if we're, I mean, we're we're not going to turn you into. Uh, I don't think I don't think promoting the conference on our platform is going to get people to go. But I hope that you can sense when Ben and I talk about CFP and if issues that are debated at the conference. I hope that you can get some sense of our our level of interest and our passion for this because it really is a place where you can go and you can talk about, if you like, if, you, if you're if you interested in the intersection between science and policy, and you want a place to go do that without getting asked to be on you know, a USDA committee or an FDA committee or a National Academy of Sciences committee, it's a great place to go. And anybody can show up and anybody can volunteer to be on a committee and anybody can make a difference. Um, yeah. And so it really is, it really is a meeting that is unlike any other. And yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really astounded that it's been only 30 years. I mean, because we've had the food code for more than 30 years. Right. Uh, or we've had the code or precursors to the code yeah. for more than 30 years. Right.
1: Yeah. It was, I think the, the Unicode right. uh, was what it was called before. And that goes back to the seventies. But I do believe that the first, food code was
0: 1993.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, U S FDA food code. You know, who would know this? Yeah. No, Chat GPT. Oh oh
0: wait. So, so here, so I'm looking at, at, uh, conference history. Um, the conference for food protection dates back to the 1971 conference on food protection held in Denver, Colorado, Sponsored by FDA and American Public Health Association. The second National Conference for Food Protection, Washington, D.C., 1984. Um, That would be the 30 years, right? Right. Uh, Let's see. No, that'd be 40. Um, That'd be 40 years. Yeah, the 84 conference, 86 conference, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, I want to, how are they counting the 30 years?
1: Um, I don't know. Well, let's, there's an anniversary. Let's just, let's just call it that. (laughs) And it certainly says in my uh, email that, uh, that I'll forward to you um, the 30th anniversary. So, okay. um, Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll reach out to Julian to get some clarification on it. It's it's a universe, it's universe, not university. It's an anniversary. Um, and it's a big one, um, somewhere in the calculations. Uh, and I'm, I, you know, I'm excited. It, It is one thing that is, um, I think really compelling about the conference for food protection for me is that, you know, we, we go to um, IAFP and, you know, the international association for food protection, because it's our professional society, right? Like it's the place where the newest science gets released. There, there are in the academic world. Well, and I would say in all of, all of the, the realms, the industry regulatory and academics, there are real, um, career uh benchmarks and milestones and that that are um part that that IAFP is part of, right? Like presenting science, uh having journal articles published through the the journal which are often as a result of having an abstract presented um often some of the larger food safety regulatory announcements are made at that at that conference um industry is is you know building partnerships and releasing new technologies at that conference it's it's different than the conference for food protection because for me the conference for food protection the people that are really there are are passionate about changing the laws to make it more science-based or more um workable and and no one gets like i mean my reappointment promotion and, and tenure document no one looked at it and said oh this is great that that you were involved in the conference for food protection right like it wasn't i wasn't getting uh um you know it certainly impacting policy is good but it, it's not the same as going to your professional society for and, and and presenting and that people who are there are there because they they feel a real passion about being part of the system and it takes a lot of time and commitment. I mean you and I have been both chair of and participated in multiple CFP committees over the past couple of decades and and it is it's a lot of time. But but there it is there are real outputs that you know that that you can see in the food code and how things get regulated. I, it's the most
0: rewarding one that I go to. Um, so, yeah. I, just a comment here, um, and perhaps I don't know Julian. Perhaps he used Chat GPD, Chat, chat GPT, to generate this message. Um, <laughs> it is there is no way of calculating to figure out that would allow you to arrive at that 30 <laughs> years has anything to do with CFP. But do you know what it is the 30th anniversary of? Oh, I do. Well, I have
1: another thing. Is it, are you switching gears?
0: Is no, it, I'm, I'm oh. still with Julian's message. Uh, it's the 30th anniversary of Stop. Ah, uh, it yes, and that that is that's what he's talking about. So, oh. yeah, I hope you can use your platform oh. to promote to see a P meeting. This marks the 30th anniversary. Oh wait, so the first sentence is, uh, "I'm glad we got oh. to connect, and I hope to continue our relationship with no relationship yeah. with stop foodborne. Yeah. yeah, I don't. That's think so. what it is. No, no, yeah, no, it, no. Because, oh, no, I'm pr- I'm pr- 1993 is when STOP started. Right, right. But I
1: think that he is – the the testimonials that they're looking for mm-hmm. are specific to the Conference for Food Protection. Because oh, sure. FDA, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. But
0: this yeah. this year
1: marks the 30th anniversary of STOP, I think. Uh, and we want to – oh, Okay. I, you think I, I would I, know that? Um, well, as the you th- board you th- of directors. You, th- you like, think yeah.
0: you think you think Julian would would have written the message himself instead of trusting a robot to do it? Well, there you are. Apologies, Julian. I don't think we've ever met, and if we have, I oh you I'm have. Either way, I'm sorry. Okay.
1: Yeah. No, we. You know Julian. He's great. Um. Uh. So. Well, okay, but let's switch gears because it is the mm-hmm. 30th anniversary of something else. Oh, which is okay. all sort of related and, and wrapped up in this um and it's the 30th anniversary of um the uh Jack in the Box um yes uh, out, right. out uh, linked right. outbreak and um there was a really really nice series of articles uh about our friend um Bill Marler in the Seattle Times uh about 30 years after um uh the, the Jack in the Box um outbreak and so um yeah, I will link to this in in show notes. I had a question for you cuz there there are some you know there's two things I want you to want you to think about here. So let me pull up these articles and I'll send them. There's always two things, for you know. There's always two things with me. One one is um uh 30 years after the deadly E. coli outbreak, a Seattle attorney still fights for food safety. Just a like really nice, you know, I just, I just think great profile of of Bill um and and talking about you know the uh poison book which we've talked about on this mm-hmm. podcast multiple times um you know uh some great uh you know great great folks who are quoted in this um that but it, it does a I think a really nice job uh show, showing Bill's impact and one thing I don't like I don't know if we've talked about this I think we have but um Bill, in in this article um there is uh um let me go back to uh to this uh oh i just what so um there's a passage in here that says when marler started speaking to food industry groups people would sometimes walk out or boo many considered him a bottom feeder and some said to so to his face but he's earned a grudging respect over the years and and I like I don't know if you if we've talked about this, but I know and I don't know if you want to talk about it, but there was a kind of situation um related to um the International Association for Food Protection when Bill spoke uh at um at IAFP as, as as the Ivan Parkin lecture. And do you wanna do you wanna talk about that at all? Because
0: I think it, yeah. it like maybe yeah, no, made me think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I oh, I think we've talked about it before on the podcast. Okay, so, good. um, so I'm happy to talk about it again. So it was the year uh, it was the year that I was um uh, president of IAFP. I believe it was it was 2014. And um, we made the decision, rather controversial decision, um, to uh, invite Marler um, to be the Parkin lecturer. And for those that don't know, it's kind of like a keynote. We have bookend keynotes basically at the conference, um, one at the beginning and one at the end, the Parkin at the beginning, I believe, and the Silica at the end, or is it the other way around? But <clears throat> um, yeah, and uh, I got an, a message from a prominent Colleague in the industry who said, uh, "If you, do, I'm, we're really disappointed in your choice, and if you do this, um, we are not going to be a sponsor of the meeting." And. Again, the way these meetings work is that um, there's a certain cost of the meeting, but it, the member, the people who go to the meeting pay less because companies kick in, you know, $10,000, 30000 to sponsor various aspects of the meeting. And it's a nice thing that they do and they get a little bit of free publicity and it makes the cost of the meeting less for all of us. And um, I was tasked with writing a very nice letter saying, uh, yeah, no, um, uh, it's okay. Thanks. Uh, we'll Thank we'll go ahead. And uh, sorry. Uh Sorry to uh, lose you as a listener. Um, <laughs> sorry to lose you as a sponsor, uh, but um, we 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 believe. And again, I'm I'm I wrote I wrote I, I wrote what I thought was a really nice letter. I did uh, get some feedback from our friend and colleague uh, Doug Powell. Um, I sent him a draft and he sent me feedback uh back and uh, I think later shared that he he wrote it while he was on the toilet so thanks for that Doug um that's where he does his best writing apparently um but yeah and uh, and I wrote I I'll, I don't know if I can find it but I I wrote a I think a really nice letter basically not backing down and being very cordial and saying yeah um basically you know uh F you uh <laughs> yeah, right and like yeah thanks
1: so. but but that was so I mean when I read that passage it reminded me of, of that yeah story. Situation. And that's a yeah. real deal for him, right? Like you've got, you've got Bill who, who has been a a, a very, um, I, I think a big proponent of, uh, of modernizing the policies and regulations that we have around food safety and really not just utilizing his, his legal, um, uh, legal approach from a civil lawsuit to, uh, standpoint to, to change what the, what the industry is doing, but really be there as part of a policy changer. And, uh, yeah, and I read, I read that and I was like, yeah, I bet it's, I bet he has, he still has a very. Um, odd relationship with people in the world of food safety, especially those in the
0: industry. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, oh, and well, just before we completely leave the topic of Marlar, I do want to do a little bit of self promotion. Uh, Bill was a guest on episode 58 of Food Safety Talk, which has the best title ever Where's My Wallet? Uh, what happened was um, uh, we were interviewing Bill for the podcast and his daughters came into the room and needed to go out to dinner and they were asking him for money, <laughs> just very, which I just think is very funny. Um, and uh, he said, where's my wallet? Where's my wallet? Uh, and so that yeah. was, became the show title. So uh, yeah. <laughs> and and I think Bill's been a guest. I think he's been a guest other times, times as well, but yeah. that's, yeah, that's the one. And then of course the You know we can't we can't leave talking with about Bill without mentioning the famous time that we had dinner with him. But he didn't know that he was having dinner with us. He thought he was having dinner with someone else. Somebody else. Hilarity ensued. Uh, Very nice, very nice dinner in Seattle uh, with with Bill and his lovely wife. So, (sighs) um, he's a good guy. I mean, uh, you know, and, and I'll I will say the folks in the industry that don't hate him and are willing to talk about him will say, you know, Bill. I mean bill bill wants to win but he wants he wants he really wants settlement for his clients right he wants them to get the compensation that they deserve and it, for him it's not about going to trial it's about what can he prove and and you know people talk disparagingly about personal uh, personal injury lawyers as being ambulance chasers. The idea being that if they see an ambulance with a hurt person in it, they're going to chase the ambulance so that they can find that person and then get that person to sue somebody so that, that they can make their cut. Actually, one one interesting thing I I, uh, I saw in this Seattle Times article was an actual estimate of how much he's garnered for his clients and what his cut is, which I actually new information for me. But um, but but Bill Bill is. He's he's not about taking every case and grinding every last cent out. It's about what are the cases that he can win, right? Uh, based on uh, the principles of science and you know regulation and you know do it w- whether companies should do a good thing or not. And he is. It's very. I always find I've shared before multiple times on the podcast, and it's, Bill is no exception. In fact, he's even even more the case. But I love. I love. I. I I'm stimulated by talking with lawyers because they think lawyers, I find think about things very differently than scientists. Um, They have to, it's a different world. Right. But that, again, it's sort of like conference for food protection, where it's the intersection with science and policy, the intersection of with science and the law, you know, you encounter that interface when you, when you talk with lawyers, whether they're academic lawyers or they're practicing lawyers. And it's just, it is always very interesting to find someone who kind of, is lives in your world, but who, who looks at that world through completely different lenses. Um, But yet we all have to agree on like, what is, what is quote unquote, the truth or what is provable? Uh, Yeah. So um, yeah. And congratulations to Bill and, and the, I guess there's a Netflix documentary coming out, which is loosely based or based on that poison book, uh, which is a wonderful read as well. If you have, uh, if you have a chance to read that book, it's a very, it's a very engaged, the author's very good. Uh, it's a very engaging read. So again, uh, it yeah. comes up for the, for the book and for Bill and for all the good work he's done and, um, and his begrudging respect that he's earned from some people in, uh, the food safety world.
1: Great, yeah, and uh, for full disclosure, I think I'm in that documentary, or at least nice. I was I've interview- not, I haven't seen it, um, but I was interviewed for it. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Got we'll that see going for you. <laughs> you got that going for me. Yeah, Gunga La Gunga. Okay, so since we're on the topic of Bill, um yes. I sent you another link that was an accompanying article uh, with this, and I wanted to talk through Bill. Bill's not here to talk to defend himself, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about his. Um, oh, you know, the, the yeah, is, I saw this. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know. We got to do it, right? We can't, we can't talk I guess. all these great things about Bill and not not call him on a few of these things. Seattle food safety attorney Bill Marlar does not eat these foods, do you? And so I'm going to list the foods and then I want to talk about them, okay? Unpasteurized milk or juice, raw sprouts, meat that isn't well done, bagged salads, pre-cut or pre-washed fruits and vegetables, raw or undercooked eggs, Raw oysters and other raw shellfish. Okay, so one, two, three, four, five, six. So there's six foods. I'm going to tell you right now, Don, that I eat three of these six foods. But there are um, a couple other foods that are not on this list that I don't eat for food safety reasons. That Bill does, Mm -hmm. or or it's not on the list. Or it's it's not on the list, right? Yeah, it's not on the list. I don't know if he eats them or not. But okay. So what? So I don't. Do you want me to? Do you want me to tell you the three things that I do eat? Or do you want, what's your, what's your quick count of six?
0: Uh, yeah, I would say I'm about 50% as well. So, um, yeah, let's maybe let's do, well, it's never going to be quick with us. Right. So, uh, uh, we, 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 yeah. So let's just take it. We just, just point by point. Right. Let's just take it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pasteurized milk or juice. I don't, I,
1: I don't drink those like, and, and I think I might, um, uh, I might have consumed some unpasteurized juices that were, that were bottled since I've been in food safety, but it's not something that I would purchase. It's kind of like, it's been, it's been there and I've, I've consumed it. I've never had unpasteurized milk mainly because I don't, well, I don't really like milk. I don't drink a lot of, I don't drink any milk, um, at, at all, at all mm-hmm. really probably. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I have milk on
0: my cereal every once in a while, but I'm not, ai just don't like milk. Um yeah. Well, uh, uh, so all right so uh, pretty much the same answer. I probably drink more milk than you uh just because I put cream in my coffee. Um that's is that that's a that's a beastie boys reference right? Yeah. I like my sugar with coffee and cream. <laughs> coffee and cream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's just you know one, just to flash back briefly to chat GPD and artificial intelligence. Um, How many, there are so many hours of us talking, Ben. Someone could find a way to download that into an AI um, oh, and yes. then uh, people could talk to us Um, <laughs> and it would probably be uh, the same. Um, <laughs> Could it so, generate, could they, could they use our voice and just generate episodes yeah, for that's, us? That's, yeah. Well, or yeah, or just have a conversation with us, you know? Um, oh, that's lovely. Uh, that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or we could set up two of them and, and you and I could talk to each other. But um yeah, so I'll say the same thing, right? Like I've probably had uh unpasteurized juice in the past. Uh never I I I yeah, I'm not really I just don't like the idea of unpasteurized milk. And I don't again, like you, I don't not not i probably drink more than milk than you, but probably neither of us are big milk drinkers. Do you worry about getting enough calcium though, Ben? No, I'm starting to worry about you. I, no, I I
1: eat a lot of cheese. Um I like I eat a lot of other dairy, I eat a lot of mm-hmm. yogurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't, I don't like fluid milk.
0: <laughs> yep. No, yeah. makes sense. I, I say yeah. cheese, cheese, yogurt. I'm, those are much more in my wheelhouse than, uh, than pasteurized or than, uh, than fluid milk. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And ice uh, cream. Oh, I don't eat as oh, much ice cream as I used to, but boy, I love but, ice cream. Oof, yep.
1: Yeah. I could eat ice cream all, all day long, <laughs> um, but you shouldn't <laughs> yeah, you should, really should. Those would be things that would never pass my lips Is ice cream all day long. Uh, so, um, yeah. Okay. So I think we're, we're good. We're with bill on those ones raw sprouts is one that I, is on my list but I think this one's maybe not on your list or you maybe I don't know well like yeah you, so you, I yeah I don't eat raw
0: sprouts because I don't like the taste
1: yeah yeah not for safety reasons
0: not for of, safety reasons
1: yeah and I don't eat raw sprouts I think I would eat them if they were on like a sandwich or um uh, 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 uh it's uh, if I was at uh uh like a restaurant, and they were there. I would eat them. i I kind of like the um the the taste and the um the crunch of it, but I but I don't eat them for for safety reasons
0: yeah, no. and I uh, I think the sprout industry has gotten a lot better. I think they've they've done a pretty yeah. good job It's still a real I mean the the thing to me that is fascinating about sprouts, and again i I'm sure I've said this before many times, but the sprouts are the only food that by virtue of the process how you make the food will basically promote pathogen growth if there are pathogens in the sprouts so you have to keep them moist uh, you have to keep them warm and as the seeds germinate they release nutrients which are you know great for encouraging the growth of pathogens and so that that's the that's the weird thing about sprouts that is different from all other foods as far as i know
1: yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. Um, I never thought about it that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, no, maybe like, I didn't ever say that in this podcast.
1: No, way. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, but there we go. The, the, add that to our chat GPT. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So meat that isn't well done is one I disagree cause I think it's too broad. And, yep. and so the example here is Mar- Marla orders steaks. Well done. I do not, I would never, nope. um, I, if, if I knew, Uh, That it was a blade tenderized steak, then I would order it well done. Um, If I ordered, if I asked, and and it was reported that it was going to be a blade tenderized steak, I would order something else because I don't want blade tenderized steaks for safety and quality reasons. uh, I, I certainly eat my ground meats um, well done, but I don't eat them well done, Don. And this is going to sound a little bit pedantic, but I eat them cooked to 165 or 155, depending on the food um, that it is. And it may not, well done is not a good enough um, uh, answer for me. So and I go to um, not, not very many restaurants, but the restaurant, my local restaurant that I go to the most that, that I will order a hamburger, um they all ask me how i want it done i order it to 155 and they put that on the ticket and it comes and i i feel confident that they know how to do that i think they do a
0: good job so well so yeah so but but to the topic of blade tenderized steaks um what confidence do you have that you'll get an answer or a correct answer to that question um i so I, i'm not I'm not
1: sure uh, I think okay. like yeah it's, so but but i I do ask and i am not I'm not someone who orders a steak out very often um, but the places that I would that I'd say in the last five years, I've probably ordered three steaks out and they're at places where one they brought the entire ribeye out to my table and they asked me how thick of a ribeye do i want cut so i could see the subprimal um and so i i I assumed that that was not blade tenderized because that that's not what you would what you would do in the other two incidents it were these were places where um they they are uh advertising either ribeye or filet mignon steaks where that's not the type of cut that you would get blade tenderized. Okay. Um so so i I feel confident that because of what I'm ordering, it's not blade tenderized, Not that they would know the answer, okay.
0: good. And yeah, and I'll say the same. i I'll often when when asked how I want my meat done, i'll I'll often ask uh, the server, what is medium here, right? And because I really want. Uh, a pink center. I don't want uh, like a a a cold center, right? I mean, I want. I do want it because I just for for aesthetics, you know. But 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 Ben, do you know do you know who I'd who I'd like to ask about whether whether they would eat a blade tenderized steak or not?
1: Uh, <laughs> um, uh, our, our friend Chef Reactions. No, no, <laughs> oh. so close, so close. Um, uh, John Luchansky and Anna Porta Fett. oh Of course, John Luchansky and Anna Porta Fett. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a chance. And I think they would say they would they would yeah. eat it to 145, not well done. Right. Because I believe that's the, the data that they've got. Um yep. and yeah.
0: we we will link uh, we will link to their article.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, a good like good good pull there because that mm-hmm. that is that's a that's exactly uh, um that's a good
0: uh uh good answer. Um I lost my um Oh, it's okay. Uh next next food is bag salads, pre-cut or pre washed fruits and vegetables.
1: Yeah, so I do eat um we, we do eat bag salads and uh pre-washed uh and pre-cut um fruits and vegetables, less so on the fruit side of things from a mainly from a quality standpoint, but I am often getting trimmed green beans that I'm gonna cook. Mm. Um, I'm often getting, uh, pre-cut beets because beets are kind of a pain in the ass, Don. Um, mm. and, and I like, I like those, the, I like those products. So I, I think, again, this is, it's, it's a little bit of an oversimplification. So I, I would say that I do eat these often.
0: Yeah, and we we eat most and uh, most of our greens do come pre-washed. Um, and but you know we will also be we're pretty picky. Uh, and and if they like we had a a batch of arugula that just it just made it halfway through and it just was looking nasty, so we threw it out. Again, nastiness is not an indication of safety, but. Um, we do, we do pay attention to how it looks, uh, which could, which can impact risk. Um, we, I don't eat a lot of fruits period. Uh, just don't really, don't really like them eat plenty of vegetables. Um, and again, if you consider tomatoes on my salad to be a fruit, then I guess I, that is the one fruit that I, that I do eat. Um, yeah. And we eat a ton of baby carrots. We have baby carrots on our salad almost every night. And again, uh, uh spoiler alert, baby carrots are not actually baby carrots, they are full grown <laughs> carrots that have been cut to look like babies. Yep. Um, so uh, we eat a ton of those uh, at our house. Um, Me too. Yeah, yeah and, a lot of and that's um, And that's and then uh, we eat the cucumber, the English style cucumber that comes wrapped in a bag, um, which I guess is maybe washed, but it's certainly not cut. Um, but yeah, and I tend to stay I, I, at buffets and stuff. I tend to stay away from the cut fruit. Uh, Just because I know we've done research on campylobacter, um, or not campylobacter, we've done work on cantaloupe. Um, and listeria and listeria will grow uh, on cantaloupe, and it looks just same after you have you know orders of magnitude of salmonella or camp- or listeria growth on it. It looks just the same as cantaloupe uh, that is not doesn't have those con- concentrations. So that's one food that I will I will stay away from. And again, we wouldn't. Uh, I mean, we, if we if we have cantaloupe in the house, we'll, we'll get an actual fresh cantaloupe and cut it up and eat it, or watermelon in, in season stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm in agreement with all of those. Mm-hmm. um next one here is raw or undercooked eggs um wh- so raw I'm I'm a I'm a no raw
0: egg yep kind of kind of person yep
1: undercooked so Dom what's an undercooked egg I well, I, have an answer I, for I, I got an answer
0: I haven't I have an undercooked egg uh this morning for breakfast it was a uh over over easy over medium egg uh but the yolk was still runny a little bit runny so there's some risk there but I'm I'm comfortable in managing that risk through uh refrigeration of the eggs through cook uh, some cooking of the eggs um we'll see how my um egg yolk in sriracha does uh that's a that's a, a call not a call back a call forward to an episode of risky or not that maybe hasn't posted yet i'm not sure but uh it's very confusing when you tape them in advance it's right who knows it could have already happened oh i think i think it i think it came out anyway well, and it will probably be out by the time we post this. Um, oh, you know what? It, it is. It's a, it's episode uh, of the posted uh, Friday. Uh, oh. oh, which reminds but me. Yeah. Today's episode has not yet been posted. Uh, so episode uh, uh, 424, red hot cured egg yolks. Uh, uh-huh. so I made Sriracha cured egg yolks. And um, egg yolk, singular, sorry. Egg yolk,
1: yes. Uh, so I found a, uh, a, a nice infographic from the Florida restaurant lodging association, who whom which I I know uh, the person who runs food safety there through oh. the conference for food protection. Oh, uh, Jeff, yeah, Look Jeff come in. Yeah, um, and so this I think this does a good job. All of mm. these, no, no, no. So these would be considered undercooked according to the food code. Okay. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah, uh, when it has reached a temperature of one fifty-five for pooled holding or later service, ah, yep. or hard eggs have reached this temperature. However, food service customers more likely to order sunny side up. Um, I I my my wheelhouse for for um an egg is is a little more than the your did you like
0: your sunny side up or over easy? Is
1: that where you like to be?
0: Yeah, it's I don't I yeah, what what I really need to do is I, I have a nice tip sensitive digital thermometer. I cook eggs almost every day. I think I've promised in the past to take egg temperature, egg yolk temperatures. I really need to get better at doing that. It's just a matter of uh how do I remember at the right time when the eggs come off the stove uh, to take that thermometer out and take a temperature measurement. So yeah, it's, um, it's probably over easy, over easy to over medium in that range. So, and, and I'm in the, um,
1: uh, I just, of course I just lost it again. Uh, I, I like the poached over medium. Like hmm. that's that, you know, I like, a, I like somewhat of a solid, like solid with a little bit of like liquidy um, yolk, soft boiled or over hard are not my things. Uh, so, but yeah. A- anyway, so I, I would say that I probably am eating, um, uh, undercooked eggs based on this definition. Mm-hmm. Um, but but this is where I think it's important to think about raw versus somewhat cooked. There's risk mm-hmm. reduction all along here,
0: right? Yep. He, yep. he matters. Um, yep. Here. Um, so, well, and we should point out like the, the yolk is not all at a single temperature, right? You'll, you can only measure it at a single temperature, but, and then probably once you take that first measurement, now you poked a hole. And so now the temperature profile is different. So, uh, the egg, the pieces of the yolk that are closer to the edge of the white are going to probably cook faster. And if you think about how eggs get contaminated, the, the salmonella, if it's in the white of the egg will stay basically until that yolk membrane breaks down. And I'm sure we've talked about this before on the podcast. And I'm assuming that once that membrane breaks down, the the salmonella are gonna start growing uh, at the edge of that interface, right? So they're gonna be at the hotter part, right? Where it's closer to the white. and really, it's only the middle of the oak. But again, what are the chances of getting salmonella into the middle of the oak? Again, these are all questions that are nice to think about that, but that we really don't know. And again, the other thing that's, that you mentioned, which is, I think, really key, is that word pooled, right? Because yeah. it's you can calculate... You know the math of one egg is three in ten thousand, uh, uh, right? Are positive or or whatever ten thousand minus three is uh, is the is the risk of getting a quote unquote safe egg? But if you take that number and you you do a it's not a Fibonacci series it's it's some sort of a, a binomial series. Anyway, you could you can you can calculate statistically. You can calculate the chance of the pool of eggs being negative over time. um, and it goes up as you add more eggs to the pool because, you know one bad app, apple spoils the barrel, uh, one bad egg spoils the pool or makes the pool unsafe. And so that when you're managing risk from eggs, the way you manage a pool of eggs should be different than the way that you manage a single egg um, because of that compounding of risk. yeah, I, and and I think
1: for for me, um, ex- like I manage that differently when it mm-hmm. comes to a pooled egg, I'm, I'm, I'm only consuming pooled eggs either as like fully fluffed and cooked, uh, scrambled mm-hmm. eggs or mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. omelets, uh, mm-hmm. that, I, that are, are, I, I would say well above 160 degrees, uh, Fahrenheit in the, in the cooking process based on my experience in mm-hmm. when I make them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Yep. Um, okay. Last one on the list. I'm, I'm a no for, for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. One, I don't, I don't really like them, but also Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it for safety reasons. And that's raw oysters and other raw shellfish. I will highlight that I have been known to eat and I do enjoy raw fish sushi, but that is fit raw fish sushi, not shellfish that has been purchased from somewhere that are exists under the food code that is required that requires um pa- parasite destruction in a pre-freeze of that raw fish so i don't i don't equate those two things from a safety standpoint even though there have been some salmonella issues related to raw fish i i see raw oysters and raw shellfish is a different risk different level of risk and i'd avoid them
0: yeah and i'll, I'll say similarly the uh i don't eat raw shellfish just because uh, oysters or other shelf. I just don't care for them. It just, they just seem a little gross to me. Um, I do. I have occasionally had raw fish sushi. It's not my favorite kind of sushi. I do like other, other kinds of sushi uh, with the cooked the cooked ingredients better. Um, Speaking of which, I don't know if we've talked about this before. I don't know if it's in, in our AI uh, (laughs) repository or not. Um, Have you ever, have we ever talked about, And have you ever seen the movie uh, zero dreams of sushi or have you ever heard of it? no i don't know what that movie is oh okay it's it is a 2011 japanese language american documentary film um about the 85 year old sushi master uh from a uh, three-star michelin restaurant in japan Um, it's a 10-seat sushi only restaurant in a tokyo subway station
1: this this is i i will
0: see if i can find this somewhere on the streaming platforms did,
1: have you seen it? Did you? Enjoy I, have, this? I have not.
0: I've not seen it. The the nerds on the other podcasts have talked about it. Um, it's one of those where it would have to be. Um, it would cut into the the time when I'm alone and would be watching the wire. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> I don't. A Japanese documentary about sushi. That would be a no for my wife.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so, and I just. Uh, typed in uh jiro streams of sushi which is what i really want to know is where is jiro dreams of sushi streaming streaming Um, yeah (laughs) not yet so anyway i found it looks like uh we i can find it on on places well that's interest yeah it's on hulu i will check that out yeah um yeah so okay well there that's what i wanted to do now i wanted to switch to another one of our friends who I want to talk about, because um, that's what today's podcast is all about. Is we got uh, um, looped into an email um, uh, from our friend uh, Christine Broon, and um, oh
0: yes, yes.
1: And so Christine uh, asked, so um, I'm going to grab. I have to. I have to cough a little bit, so I'm going to grab some water here, and maybe you could set this up while I download it and open it. Uh, sure. Uh
0: that would uh that would mean that I would have actually had to have done a search for this and found it um on my computer screen, um, which is it's hard, it's hard to it's hard to type something, especially somebody who has a last funny last name like Brune, because you think like Boston Bruins, but it's not, it's B R. UHn, um, which would be how she would spell her last name and she sent us a message um, with the lovely informative header, a professional question. And I'll start um, I'll start from the bottom and go up um uh and what she says uh here is uh linda harris suggests that i pose the question below to the two of you to consider on your podcast the public receives misleading and potentially hazardous information i think a response from professionals would be useful i think a peer-reviewed paper with reliable advice for the consumer is in order Uh, and then the question which I'm, i'm guessing is from chris chris to linda harris is There's lots of discussion about sell-by dates, use-by dates, and food waste. Last night, I read an article in Good Housekeeping, a complimentary copy to encourage subscription, that advised that except for meat and baby food, consumers ignore dates and use signs of spoilage as an indicator of safety. Well, we'll come back and re reexamine that sentence. That's a good sentence. Um, a similar recommendation was also also recently appeared in the Atlantic. Uh, consumers would like a simplification, but I'm concerned. This is Chris speaking. That this advice suggests that unsafe food will taste off and look spoiled. Is there an area where an IAFP IAFP paper might be appropriate? Can a consumer friendly recommendation be made? Could the consumer rely on odor and appearance for length of storage for foods? For foods that are normally held at room temperature, I'm thinking of rancidity, but not for foods stored at refrigerator temperatures. And I I thank Chris for this question. It's a really, it's a really good question. Um, and I also, she was very helpful. I asked her for a copy of the Good Housekeeping article, which she did provide, and a link to the Atlantic, which she also provided. And and I and my response was, without having read either article, is I think I kind of agree with that advice. Um, infant formula. For, this is Don talking now. Infant formula is the only food where expiration really date really matters, in my opinion. Uh, and I also shared that the food industry. Um, Has tried on several occasions to work on safety-based date labeling, and I would summarize the industry opinion as: everyone is in favor of it, but no one think it thinks that that applies to their sector of the food industry. Um, If your fridge is at 41 or below, you don't have to worry about any pathogen growth except for listeria and maybe yersinia, which is you know, yersinia is not one that people typically worry about, but uh this is again still don talking uh, obviously as you'll you'll hear it's uh one of the things i love to talk about uh the dose of listeria needed to reliably cause illness is very high in other words the median dose response is quite high um And people should be worried about listeria because they're immunocompromised and they should be avoiding risky foods no matter what shelf life. So if you are at risk of listeriosis, that is pregnant, uh, immunocompromised um, or otherwise at risk, uh, you shouldn't be eating uh, deli meats. Uh, You shouldn't be eating uh, cut vegetables, cut cantaloupe and things like that. Uh, You shouldn't be eating uh on soft cheeses made from unpasteurized milk all of those uh smoked fish all of those cold smoked fish all of those listeria risky foods so yeah uh so there you go ben that's the that's the setup uh yeah Uh, yeah
1: so what what really um i think christine is asking for here is a um a, a paper or some sort of document that demonstrates the correlation between spoilage organisms that can grow in refrigerator refrigerated food and foodborne pathogens growing in refrigerated food right like the, the and and I don't I don't think that's I don't think it exists I don't I think that that what you know the um I, I think about um Christine's message of um you, you know consumers can't smell or taste foodborne pathogens regardless of the date that they are right right? like that's that that's the heart of the the issue right if there's salmonella there um does the salmonella over time become worse in a refrigeration setting and i think the one thing that i'll add to to the conversation that that you that you had and where i think you're gonna go with this is if we assume that refrigerators are at um, you know, forty-one degrees or below, then, then no, I don't. I don't think you can say um, that you know best before dates matter or, or or anything like that. I think the issue really comes out if if refrigerators are higher than, say, forty-five or forty-seven degrees, where you may get foodborne pathogen growth in some foods, but we also know that pathogens aren't great comp- like competitors. And and so, I you know, I really think that I, I like the way that, that you you went at this conversation. Of uh, it's a different message for someone who's immunocompromised or someone who's pregnant, um, if they're worried about cons- um, uh, listeria, which can grow at refrigeration temperatures. Um, but as you said, dose response really really matters here. Um, I, I, think that I, I, I really believe that these are two separate issues that spoilage and, uh, best before or used by dates and foodborne pathogen risks are not, they're, they're not, um, I think there's a perception that they're linked, but I don't think that they are linked. And, and so I think that's the conversation that we, that we need to have is there are certain foods that carry additional risk, regardless of how long it's in your refrigerator for. And there are certain practices within a kitchen that can lead to contamination of foods that are in your refrigerator that, or that end up in your refrigerator. And that the temperature matters in your refrigerator, but it's not as simple as, um, you know, foods that are past the date are higher risk for foodborne illness.
0: Yeah, and it is so my you know don't eat spoiled food because life is too short, right? Like the my recommendation is if the lo- food looks spoiled don't eat it because it, who wants to eat spoiled food, right? Not my my advice is not don't eat spoiled food because it might contain pathogens, right? Th- those are separate questions. And it turns out Having tried to do some of this work in in the in ideal system, like, so we, uh, there's some data that we uh, finally, uh, finally got published in uh, food control. Um, oh, and now I'm trying to log in and I forgot it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, some data we finally got published in food control, um, modeling the competitive growth of lactobacillus sake on growth kinetics of Listeria monocytogenes in a model meat system. And so this is a well-characterized system. There's only two organisms. One is a spoilage organism that makes a bacteriocin. The other is an organism that's affected by that bacteriocin, And, we looked at uh, four different temperatures. We looked at different starting concentrations of the two organisms, trying to figure out reliably um, wh- what conditions would control the growth of Listeria. And it turns out it's really hard to model this. And so and that's in an ideal system in a laboratory, much less the real world. And so so coming up with practical advice is is a, is a challenge. And one of the things that the the two on the same topic that the Atlantic article, Uh, linked to is the the organization uh, refed um uh and and if you go to their website this is an an organization uh, organization that if you the again the 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 tagline on their website is we're advancing data-driven solutions to fight food waste which is wonderful right like it's great it's great to to fight food waste we don't want people to um throw away foods that are perfectly good to eat um and the refed people i believe was refed was was you know, behind the work, trying to bring the food industry together to uh, to figure out uh, safety-based date labeling. And that was the, it just didn't work. I mean, because everybody thinks it's a good idea, but Again, as I said in the message to Chris, nobody thinks it belongs to them. So, and again, and the and again, r- listeria, right? Like our refrigerators don't control listeria, which is, it's just a holdover. Well, it has to do with the efficiency of refrigeration. It has to do with the risks of making sure that your food doesn't actually freeze. And, you know, I mean, for years, we just, everybody said, yeah, 40, 41, it's whatever it takes, right? That's fine. But, it but that's not what it takes for a listeria. So, you know, we have these systems and we have these, things set up and then, you know, the universe goes on to uh, do things differently. (laughs) So,
1: yeah, Yeah. I don't, I don't
0: think there's a solution, but, and again, you know, and I've I've done, I think I've talked about the work that I've done for a a large unnamed food company who's also interested in promoting this idea that they have a food that they you can combine with other foods uh, that might make uh, you able to use stuff that's closer to the end of the shelf life or past the end of the shelf life. Um. Yeah. And so I did. You know, bit of a deep dive on a few different topics, and yeah, it's interesting. But it. But again, it. As I'm not wearing the shirt today, I'm wearing a shirt with a dragon on it. But um. Uh. Same color as my shirt that says it's complicated and it, it depends. <laughs> but Ben, um, it it, it is complicated and uh, it depends.
1: Yeah, and the only thing I'll add is, um, life's too short for um. You know, uh, consuming mm-hmm. spoiled food. But i but i will say that there's a real functional aspect of this for those in um you know, marginalized populations especially those with low hmm. socioeconomic issues where that that becomes a different trade off right like it's we, you and i are we're you know we're good we we can make that decision some where, where i become really interested in this discussion is what about a um an individual who will will consume spoiled food because that's their food source that they have and and wants to, but then is being told you shouldn't do this for safety reasons, and I have a real issue with that. Right? Like I think that that it 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 is that that we I think our our job is to arm people with the the right amount of knowledge to say here's this is a this, this will increase your risk of foodborne illness or this won't, um, and you can make a decision however however you want. But if this is your only food source. And, and it's past its date and it might be a little spoiled or there might be some mold on, on the top. Um, I, I think it's a different, I think it's a different discussion, And I, but I do agree with one thing that Christine suggested, which might not be the paper she wants, but it's the paper that would be given is that there's sh- like, we, sh- we, we, not you and I, but the collective community should write the paper on this of this that that like what do date labels and coding mean when it comes to food safety that gives a table that basically says not much in right. if we right. like for these pathogens or here here's the magic situation where refrigeration temperature and immunocompromised system really matters and and it's a it's a special
0: group of of
1: individuals um but i don't think that's the paper she wants to written I
0: don't know. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and again, articles like this uh, are, are full of things like in the uh, um, good housekeeping article, uh, know your dates, uh, yeah. save this handy checklist. Uh, the first one is best if used by slash before sell by and freeze by well, those, uh, I'm not sure there's a difference between the first one and the third one. Yep. Um, the, the second one is, is it's not for uh, you. It's not for you. Well, it's not for you, but people use it, yep. right? It's like, well, why is that even there, right? Well, I guess I could say okay, a sell by date is based on certain assumptions about how a retailer might handle something and it's based on certain assumptions about how the consumer might handle something. But it it doesn't I don't I don't really know if it's doing it's not for the consumer, but it I'm not sure it's really helping anyone, right? Uh, is it, it, it if we have folks that work in retail who listen, and I I know that you, you are out there, um, do you guys use sell by date? What do you think? I mean, cause I mean, it's one thing to talk to the processed food industry, the people who are putting the dates on, I would be very interested to hear from some of our retail colleagues, you know, Larry Cole and, and et cetera, and his colleagues to say like, well, how do you guys practice? Do you practice? I'm sure they must practice some sort of inventory management. They know yeah. what's on their shelves. They know the turn rate. They know how fast things are moving. They probably have some people looking at dates. They don't want to have. They don't want to have ex- expired food on their shelves, right? And so they're doing their best to make sure that it gets out there. But do they really use sell by dates? I don't know. I don't. You're yeah, right. I would again? I put say, well, if I was in retail, would I be using sell by dates? I don't think so. I. I mean, I feel like they. They are. They're not. They're being used, but not for food safety reasons. Is that your? Uh, like- oh yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I'm sure they're not being yeah. used for food safety reasons. I yeah. just don't. I'm not. I'm not sure they're being used because that, that think, would involve. Some, think, unless you can scan it, I don't know. Yeah. Well, no. I th- I think they are being used because I think okay. like if I think about my meat counter, oh, at the grocery okay. store that yeah. I oh, go right. to. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. for, for, for very perishable foods like meat. Yes. Okay. For yes. Sure. Yes. yes. And because, because in that case, the meat counter, the, the retail chain is putting the date on there. Exactly. It's yeah. not a date. Okay. Yes. All right. The, well, and in that case, it sort of defaults back to the manufacturer. We should distinguish between. Yeah, who's putting the date on there and why? Yeah, if the if the, if the retailer is putting the sell by date on there for their own management purposes, then that I I completely believe that they're doing that. I just wonder is are there food processors who are putting a sell by mm. date that's being used by the retailer? That's what I'm questioning. Not not that retailers would put sell by dates on their meat. No, that that makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um the only one that I can think of that I've encountered Uh, is in the, um, beer world where, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the dates that are, um, that are there, sometimes you can see sell by dates on, on cans and bottles, but it's a, it, it is related to the, like how, whether the beer goes skunky or has a, has a good flavor, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know with other processed foods, how, how retailers would be, would be using
0: them. Um well and, and you know, and thinking about beer makes me think about wine, which is the opposite of this. It's, right uh best if you don't consume this right away. Hold yeah. hold or drink is the recommendation, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: Um but but I yeah, I, I mean I I I I like I always like revisiting this conversation because we we in our community have not figured this out. And yeah, there's lots of different problems with what we're currently doing. I I Think it's it is ripe for um uh, some some like revolutionary set of recommendations like a uh, five second rule <laughs> that's or, or hand washing temperature where oh, where it's like where, yeah right right yeah. where it's like, hey, we some so these, these are the things that you shouldn't worry about. these are the things that you should worry about, and this is not one of them um from a from a food safety standpoint so like someone someone you know needs to write the paper on this I just don't think it'll be me or you um well and I'm
0: not sure I would I'm not sure there's a whole paper there to write
1: right someone needs to write um, the table there needs to be a table that's like I, I think about your there's a the, the one of the papers that I really like of yours um is the uh oil in uh fresh, fresh herbs and garlic and oil Mm-hmm. Um, where, where you kind of said, okay, here are the things that are in the, um, in the literature, let's look at all the literature that we can find on these particular types of foods and let's put some X's in a table that says, these are things that you should be doing, you know, temperature and acidification matters for these ones, but for these ones, it doesn't, that kind of stuff. I really, I really like, you know, the paper that I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, with, yeah. uh,
0: Elizabeth Andress and Brian Numer. Yep. 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 Um, And, uh,
1: so, but, but I, yeah, I, I, again, I don't think it needs to be a big, um, a a really big paper, but I think it needs to have, I need, I I see a a visual table in my mind. Okay. Yeah. Uh, current food safety issues of home prepared vegetables and curbs, curbs stored in oil From my favorite, from my favorite guy. Uh, there you go. The oh, paper. Angie
0: Fraser. I always forget Angie. Yep. 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 Sh- Shouldn't forget Angie.
1: Don't forget Angie. Brian, Do- Donald, uh, Schaffner, Angie Fraser, and uh, and Elizabeth Andrews. But there's a, th- th- like, this has. I just I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, th- it's not a very. Um, there, there it is. Table three is what I want. Advice on. I like
0: ta- And table two. I like, I like table two. <laughs> table two and table table two says, here's the problem. Yep. No, but nobody agrees. There's no No one agrees. uh, Yeah. It's just, everybody has make, everybody's making recommendations, Ben, but nobody has the science, but I think that that's, or they have the science and they're just making different recommendations from the same because that's risk management, right? Yep. But I think that's the
1: like. This does a good job saying this. So there now. Let's go to Chat GPT and say, mm-hmm. in the style of current food safety issues of home food prepared vegetables and herbs stored in oil, write a paper that explains the risks and risk management decisions uh, needed for um, best buy and use by dates in consumer home refrigerators. Something like that, and see what it see what it gives us. There, there's the paper. <sighs> um. I, uh, I I have a I've got a semi-hard out, Don. Okay. You know, you much you know how much I love to <laughs> say that. Uh, so I think, and I don't think we got to everything that we wanted to talk about today, but uh, but we'll do another episode in in a couple of weeks. Uh, um, yeah, was there any any last any last words that you had before we go?
0: No, we'll uh, we'll link to the uh, dictionary definition of semi-hard. <laughs>
1: perfect and don't worry there's already an explicit tag on this one so uh uh, this has been another episode no we don't do that in this one okay (laughs) every time it's funny every time every time it's a bit it's a bit all right bye. Bye. bye
0: Somewhat hard but easily cut. Oh, cool,
1: there you go. That's we talked about this in semi hard uh cheeses. Did we? Okay. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh okay, cool. I got a couple minutes. I have to get a I have okay. to get to campus for a meeting, but okay. I have to drive. I gotta drive over there But. Okay. Um. Um, so the last episode is ready to post today. Um, cool. yep, I got I just I the last thing I needed to do that I didn't get finished before we uh, started recording was finding show art for it. But it's mm. all It's all ready to go um so this one will i'll i'll try and post it like friday i'm going to edit it today okay Uh, so then we'll be all caught up so we could look at the week of the 13th of march
0: sure and that is going to be i was just thinking about this because it's going to be a problematic week for me because i am in brazil that week
1: right so what what if i delayed today's episode and posted it not the week instead of this week what if i posted it say like the week of the sixth and then two weeks from the
0: sixth would be the week of the 20th are you back from brazil yeah i'm just there for that week that week of the 13th okay. I'm, I'm gone but yeah the week of the 20th that would be great
1: okay so why don't we What does monday the 20th at like uh 9 30 a.m look like or, or good 9 good good okay
0: yeah, yeah yeah uh nine would be better yeah let's do it nine's perfect okay done
1: Um, Okay. And then I have a question for you before you go. Sure. Um, Well, or more of a, more of a statement. (laughs) Um, uh, Hang on. Let me write this down. Uh, 270. I think that's nine. Um, Okay. So since you were my um, council chair for CFP, um, I got to leave early to go to another meeting in Canada. For my other job, my department head job, so I'm gonna be there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I got to leave Wednesday night. So I'm not gonna be there Thursday morning. Okay. So there there should be all like alternates that can step in um, to present your issue. Well, no, just because I'm on council. Just to oh be, oh yeah, the alternate. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll we'll
0: line it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah no so,
1: but, but I don't want you to be like um, surprised when I'm. Oh when yeah, I'm not no. There. No um, But uh, but yeah, I gotta. I have to go from Houston to Guelph Wednesday night so I can be Mm. in a meeting Thursday and Friday. Mm. Um, So, but yeah, I might have to leave a little, I haven't booked the flights because it's like a whole complicated one where Mm -hmm. of course Delta doesn't do the things that I want it to do. Like I'd have to leave at noon from Houston to get to Toronto. So I'm trying to leave at like maybe four. So I'll get most of Wednesday in, but I'll be there
0: Tuesday, Wednesday. So, okay. Yeah, so sorry, because I, I... Oh, that's fine. Um, CFP. And I don't... Yeah, no worries. Um, I know you wouldn't miss it unless you had a had a good reason. So I just don't know what... I guess we should think about, is there an academic backup? Is there an academic alternate, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you and know... I'm, I'm, do you I know mean, Ellen's on already on council, right? She's not, an, she's not a backup. Right, right. But she's on...
1: Isn't she on council 1, right? I don't
0: I don't I yeah. don't remember. She's not on 3. She's um, not. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well that's that's too bad. All right. Um I don't know. Let's uh why don't you can, can you just shoot me an email and Yep. Yep. We'll we'll, we'll start to hash it out that way cuz I want to involve uh the council chair and vice chair um yep. and see what we can see what we can do. Perfect. Perfect. Aren't you the council chair? No, I'm the yes, I I mean conference <laughs> chair. Conference, conference chair. Conference chair, chair. Yeah. Conference <laughs> chair. You <laughs> smart ass yeah <laughs> I, I have am in... co- i am the council chair <laughs> i have included the co- watch it the... <laughs> watch it buddy
1: watch it <laughs> um cool yeah i'll shoot you an email here today and okay. let you know um what my and then we could we could probably find another academic
0: um that will be there cuz i think nicole's going to nicole arnold's going to be there um, Well, I'm the problem sure if... is we have designated alternates and we have to use that stick first. with them yeah because yeah. okay. otherwise there will be a a not good so
1: yeah that makes sense sorry for making your life oh no it's done
0: no, please it's it's no it's not a, it's not a it's not a problem uh it's good to know it in advance so we can think about it and yeah we just gotta we just gotta just f- figure out what's the best for the yep. best for the best action for the council so cool and then let me know if you if i need if i can do anything to help yes of course of course
1: cool all right awesome um that's it for me Uh, I will talk to you whenever we do Risky or Not next.
0: It's uh, next Next week. week.
1: Yep, next week sometime. It's Monday, I think. Yep. Cool. All right.
0: All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.